um, marks that we pursue in our love for God, marks that uh, tell us how we're doing, but also give us the goal that we aim for. They're things that reflect uh, the desire of our heart and the things that we experience as regenerate believers in Christ, and yet things also that we want to experience more as regenerate believers in Christ, as those who have the Holy Spirit and those who are in union with Christ and our sons and daughters of the Father. Now, as I remind you, stop me at any time. If there's something you want to add or interject, this is um, some more devotional. This isn't so much, this is not meant to be a sermon. This is not meant to be some uh, thought-out lesson plan as much as it is to think through these things with you and to rejoice in these truths and discuss them with you. So please don't hesitate to uh, ask a question or interject as, as we go along. Uh, let me introduce uh, our passage this morning by uh, reminding us about how easily our hearts lose the sense of wonder that we once had um, of God and that we at sometimes experience with Him. Uh, we have many distractions in our age. As we know, this is not uh, news. Uh, you don't have to be in a room or around kids very long, or even adults for that matter. It's not even just teenage kids. And what are, what are they doing? Right? They're looking down at their phone. They're texting. They're doing something else. That's just the age that we live in. There's wonderful blessings to technology. There's also uh, wonderful or many distractions that come because of technology. Uh, if you look at old movies, old uh, any kind of action movie or you see the special effects and right now now when you see it it looks like something that you know the the junior high uh, art department put together compared to what you can see on the movie screen now there's such a realism uh, when you go uh, to see film and it takes these uh, really anything that they want to do and it makes it real uh, to our eyes and that is, uh, has a neat factor as far as, I guess, the arts go. But in terms of our own thinking and our hearts, it's just another way that it deadens greater realities and transcendent realities of the glory of God. And while we wouldn't say that those things are inherently evil, they're certainly not. Uh, but we do see how those things can be used and affect us in negative ways. And so we always have to be cautious of um, how we are aware that they affect our hearts. But you know, we don't even need those things, do we? Our hearts can grow dull and our hearts can grow spiritually lethargic apart from anything external from us just because of our internal struggles with sin and the flesh that is still a part of our uh, experience, that are a part of reality of who we are as those uh, made in the image of God. So we have uh, hearts... Our spirits, our inner man longs to fellowship with God, to enjoy Him, and we do experience that. Yet we also know the reality of that still unredeemed part of us that drifts off into dullness and into, uh, as I said, spiritual lethargy. And so the fruit of that is that we can lack a wonder at God's Word. We can lack a sense of wonder at the grace that we've received in Christ and the glory of Christ. And we can lack sometimes a desire to... Uh, come to his word uh, to experience that wonder that we should as we're exposed to the glory of God in it. And so Psalm 119 verses 129 to 136 help us in this regard. They help us reorient our minds and our hearts and uh, it gives us again a measure by which we can 
tests uh, the spiritual heat of our hearts and give us a mark that we can shoot for. So to begin, let's read these verses. And again, I'll read them because otherwise there's silence on the recording. Uh, But read them along with me and then we'll look at it a bit more closely. So beginning in verse 129. And of course, you just remind you briefly of the context of Psalm 119. It is an extended meditation of an Old Testament saint on the Word of God. And it is him unfolding in a myriad of ways his experience with God through the connection point of his Word. So let's begin in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, after the manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. We prayed generally, but I didn't pray before we started. And I realized that as I was reading. So let's do that now and ask God to be gracious to minister his word to us. Father, we do, even as we'll learn in the psalmist's uh, own words uh, this morning... We do need you to give us understanding of your word. We do need you to give us not only the understanding of what they reveal to our minds, but to give us a sense, the savor and the flavor of them in our hearts, the sweetness of your truth. And so we pray that we would experience that to some measure this morning and that we would be encouraged to come fresh to your word with that anticipation to meet with you there each morning, uh, each day of the week, as we long to be greater and better and more full worshipers of you through the Son. So help us this morning, particularly now in the next few minutes that we have together. And we pray this in the name of Christ who has forgiven us and released us of our sins. And brought us into fellowship with you. Amen. Okay, we'll go back up to verses 129 and 131. And we'll look at the first measure or mark. And that is amazement at God's revelation. Amazement at God's revelation. And first, let's note amazement at God's salvation. He says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. Uh, That idea, wonderful, that word wonderful is a full word. It communicates a great deal to us about what the psalmist is experiencing in his heart as he comes to God's word. He's speaking here of something that transcends the human capacity to fully understand. And hence, it's something that amazes him. He's saying, I am amazed at the testimonies Of God. I'm amazed at the accounts of God's works and God's acts. 
Now, when he says your testimonies here, he's referring to those things particularly that are accounts of God's works, his actions and his deeds. And so he's not here simply saying that he finds wonder in the words himself. And he's not really even saying that he finds so much wonder in the supernatural element of God's acts. His wonder here, remember, he's speaking as a regenerate believer in God, an Old Testament saint. His wonder here as he has God's works run before him through the word is about God's acting on behalf of his people. He's, he's wondering here at the glory and the delight of God acting out of his covenant relationship for the benefit of his people. It's not simply the fact that God acts. It's not simply the fact that God does amazing things. It's not simply a fact that the displays of God's power are wonderful, as though they are in and of themselves. It is the fact that when he sees them, he sees them in the context of God acting and working on behalf of his people out of a relationship of covenant love. And this is a very important distinction to make. Conversely, by way of comparison here, an unregenerate person does not have this wonder. An unbeliever does not have this wonder. They do not experience this kind of inward response to God as he's revealed in his word. So an unbeliever, someone with an unregenerate heart, can be amazed at God's acts of power. We see that at many places in scripture. Uh, We could see that in our day if there's an amazing uh, act of mercy that God were to do, say, for example, in a healing that was totally unexpected. Uh, others can look at that and be amazed at it, uh, but it's going to be a different kind of amazing, amazement than a believer uh, experiences. Only a believer finds this wonder of worship in God's acts. Look just briefly over at 2 Corinthians. I'm going to jump over there. I think Paul take, captures this reality that the psalmist is speaking of um, very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're familiar with this uh, verse. Now in chapter 3, he's talked about how the Jews have God's word, his testimonies, the law read, and they read it, and yet there's a veil that lies over their eyes. They don't really see the glory of God revealed in it, even though they're very committed to studying it and reading it and speaking about it. But he says in verse 4, he's explaining that, or chapter 4, verse 3, he starts, he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You can just stop right there. What he's saying here, of course, is not that they can't understand God's word, not that they don't intellectually grasp the reality of the gospel and the testimonies of God, as the psalmist mentioned, and his works and his ways. What is it in verse 4? You tell me, what is it that they do not see? Look at verse 4. What is it that an unbeliever does not see? 
okay? The glory of Christ. Do you see that? It's not that they don't comprehend and see what God is doing and understand it. As a matter of fact, I've read some of the clearest explanations of the gospel by those who hate it and totally reject it, simply in explaining what Christians believe. Now, the difference between them writing that and understanding that and us when we read it is we delight in those truths. We see the glory of God in them. We, have, we see our Redeemer there. We see our God whom we love and His acts on our behalf there, and we find something in them wonderful. An unbeliever does not see that. And so here, as Paul is explaining, what an unbeliever cannot see in the Word of God and in the testimonies of God's acts, or what they cannot feel in response to them, is delight in God. Worship, repentance, wonder, as the psalmist is speaking about uh, in Psalm 119. They do not move an unbelieving heart and an unregenerate heart to a place of praise and worship and obedience and delight. But for a believer, they do. You can flip back over to Psalm 119. For a believer, they do. When we come to God's Word, what we should expect and what we should long for and what we should at times experience to various degrees is a sense of wonder at God's acts because of what they reveal about God himself that draw our heart to him. And particularly as he acts on behalf of his people. And it elicits from our heart then worship, worship, obedience, uh, desire to praise him, desire to go to him in prayer, desire to trust him at the deepest level of our being. That is what God's word should produce in us. And so that's why our love for God is attached and our affections for God to our affections to be in his word. It's not just something that we have over here separate as like just some personal reality. It's directly connected to who God is. And so when he reveals himself on the pages of scripture, it's there that we see his acts and we delight in them. Our confidence in his work in our own lives is built in this world, our uh, confidence in his works of redemption on our behalf are strengthened. Uh, we meet God there and we observe his ways and we're brought to a place of worship. And this is what the psalmist is talking about here. Amazement at his salvation. And notice that he says, my soul observes them. And again, he's speaking here of the inner, re- inner reality of his heart. The inner reality of his heart. He's not merely speaking of obedience. He's speaking of that which captures his heart, which draws his attention uh, to God. It takes over his thoughts. It's something that it causes his mind to meditate on these realities. He, He sees them and they're treasured as wonderful. He contemplates them until he's clear on all that they reveal. They're truths that penetrate his mind. I remember when, uh, when we came here, now, of course, moving from Los Angeles, where there's a lot of uh, unnatural light in, in the terms of, you know, like street lights and such. And uh, when we came here, and it was a dark night, and obviously the children were even younger, and I don't remember which one it was, but one of them looked up at the stars, and they asked uh, Trish, they said, what, what are all those? 
what is that? They had never seen so many stars, right? You don't see that many stars in California or Southern California. And so they were just amazed and they were just like fascinated and looking at all of these, these stars. You know, what were all these lights in the sky? And that's a sense of wonder that she had, whichever she it was. Uh, that she had by seeing the glory of God's creation in this very young mind, but this glory of God's creation. That, that is a small sense and a small illustration of how it should be when we go to God's word and we're just amazed at seeing the way that God works and the way God acts. And it draws our hearts and it should draw our attention to want to gaze at it more intently, to have greater clarity, much as... Uh, our child was looking up at the night sky to understand all of these lights and these things that she saw. There was a sense of wonder. And we should have that when we come uh, to God's word. Wanting him and seeking to understand him more. Notice in verse 30. And he's amazed really then at God's works of salvation. Uh, as they're revealed in the pages of scripture. In verse uh, 30, notice he's amazed by the enlightenment that God gives, the understanding that he gives. He says in verse 30, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now this term unfolding is translated in a a variety of ways. Sometimes it's translated disclosure. Sometimes it's translated teaching. Sometimes it's translated as opening or entrance. And really I think that last one captures best what the psalmist is saying here. The idea of entrance. Entrance. It's entrance of God's word into his heart. Now you'll remember uh, that the Israelites were Bedouins. Right? Does everybody know what a Bedouin is? Like those, so you can still see them you know, over in the Middle East now. Right? They travel around. They, they have uh, truly mobile homes. Right? They pack it up and they live in these tents and these communities and they pack everything up and then they travel to another area where they live for a while and so on and so forth. Well, these tents were, that they have now would, would be uh, not much different, if any different really, than what they had in ancient Israel. These are uh, really an ancient way of living uh, these people have. And so they were made out of uh, skins of uh, animals and these were, you know, pieced together, and that's what made the tent covering. And one of the effects of this is it, it blocks out the light, which is particularly necessary in such a hot region of the world. And so when they have these tents, and you know, they have a, a door, of course, in front that blocks out all the light, not only the heat, but also the light. And so the picture here really then, that this idea of unfolding of your words, if you could go inside of one of these tents uh, for a moment with uh, everything closed off, nothing opened up, and uh, see the darkness there, and then imagine that you were uh, going to go out of the tent, and so you go to it and you open to those doors, and the light of the day, it's a bright day, and it floods all of a sudden inside your tent. That's a picture really of what the psalmist is uh, talking about here. That the unfolding of your words, it gives light. It's like opening those tent doors in the light of the sun coming into that darkened tent. That's what happens when the Spirit of God illumines the truth of God to our hearts. It's like giving light inside of us. Light to our darkness. Understanding to our ignorance. Clarity. 
where there may have been confusion or misunderstanding. But not so much misunderstanding as just not understanding. The unfolding of your words gives light. As I come before your word, as we seek God's grace and to see his face on the pages of scripture when the spirit of God unfolds those to us the true meaning of them in our hearts uh, it fills us with understanding and that understanding then produces worship and delight now again the words themselves communicate the truth for example you could say Christ, when he was here, he was the light of the world. Now, that doesn't mean everybody saw that light in the same way, right? Because he was rejected. Uh, But for those who did see his light, it was a wonderful experience of seeing the glory of God in him. And it was that understanding of his word then that produced faith. But that is, as we're reminded of here, even, a supernatural work of God supernatural work of God. Now, why then do we need a supernatural work of God in our heart? Well, because of the reality of sin. We have the reality of sin that hides us from so much of God's glory as it's revealed on the pages of Scripture. Why does a natural man, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God? For they are spiritually appraised. That's the negative side of it. But for those who do have the spirit of God. Then it is an unfolding of truth. It is an unfolding of the knowledge of God. That is delightful. Let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians 10. And now now he says this after he talks about how the world rejected him. And he says, the rulers of this age uh, did not truly understand who he was. He says uh, it this way. Um, he says, the wisdom, they speak, he speaks a wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't understand it. But for those who have the Spirit of God... There is understanding and things which eye is not seen and ear is not heard is now seen and heard. And all that, was not under, that did not enter into the heart of man now for the believer enters into the heart of man. And all that God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And it is the Spirit of God then who unites spiritual thoughts with spiritual words and connects them with the spiritual heart in which he dwells. And gives understanding. And that, that is unfolded in a unique and a fuller way in the new covenant. But that is not a reality that was um, absent from an Old Testament believer. Even still it was the spirit of God active in assisting the Old Testament saint. In understanding the word of God. In understanding not only the intellectual uh, elements of God's word, but understanding them spiritually, giving a taste uh, for them. So the point of this here, then, for us to for us to grasp and for us to apply in our own lives, is the fact that we understand that when we come to God's word, we're coming to it in the context of relationship and our dependence on Him for enablement, for the Spirit of God 
And so part of our coming to God's word, to even see his testimonies as wonderful, uh, needs to always be bathed in prayer. A sense of dependence upon God. A sense of dependence upon the spirit of God to open our heart. Read, read, and read we may, but if the spirit of God does not unfold those words to us inwardly, then we will not come away with that sense and that taste and that delight in God that He has designed them to. And so we seek the Spirit of God to give us understanding. And He said this in many ways before uh, in Psalm 119. He says in verse 18, let me just read to you a couple of examples. In Psalm uh, 119 verse 18, He says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Do you pray that when you go to God's word? Is that a consistent part of your prayer? Do you begin your time before God's word with seeking him in prayer, saying, God, I want to see something wonderful from you. Give me understanding. That should be a consistent prayer. He says in 34, give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. He says in verse 73, your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. You see his prayer? He's seeking from the Lord to have understanding. He loved God's word and he loved God. And he longed to understand it more, but he knew that he was dependent upon God to give him this this taste of his glory, to give him this understanding. And note that the end of his understanding wasn't some emotional experience. What, What was he saying in all of those verses was the end of his understanding? What did he want to be the end of it? Did you catch it? What do you think? Look in, for example, in verse, he says it, says it uh, clearly in verse uh, 34, particularly. What is it, what is, it that the, is at the end of the psalmist under, wanting understanding? Does everybody agree with that? It's obedience. It's obedience. I want understanding because I want my life to glorify you and conform to your word. So he's not just saying I want to come over here and just have some emotional experience in my life. What he's saying is I want to understand you and to see you in a way that I might better worship you with my life. That I might better obey you. That my life might more fully reflect your glory and your character. That's the end of it. I want my affections captured so that my will will be moved to better obey you and submit to you with all of my life. And so we as Christians cry out, more light, more understanding, give me understanding. And that is the cry of the one who's glimpsed for even a moment and tasted of the glory of Christ in his word. We want to wrench more out of it, as it were. So now there's two parts here, though. There's two parts to this. Uh, One is that God has to give us that sense of delight. That's a spiritual grace. It doesn't just come from us. We don't just decide to delight in it. And we don't just give ourselves understanding. Right? Or make the prayer useless. We we would essentially be saying the spirit of God can go on vacation. We don't need it. We're just fine on our own. No. We need need God to do that uh, for us. But yet, he does not do that apart from our effort. 
So we must be diligent in pursuing God in his word, even as the psalmist is here and throughout the psalm, but we're depending on God for the fruit of our effort, to, to give blessing to our efforts. But we uh, must be diligent. We must be diligent. Uh, one, one thing that is a common question in any kind of counseling, and it should be among us as we discuss with each other and we pray for one another, if somebody's struggling, uh, one of the first questions uh, that I ask, is, that probably all, many of us ask, is uh, how, how much time are you spending in God's Word? What's your devotional life look like? Uh, and, and more often than not, uh, it, probably every time, I'm allowing for maybe some exception, uh, well, not too good, I haven't really been spending much time in God's Word. Uh, I haven't really been spending much time in prayer. Well, that's step one. That's step one. God doesn't just zap us with spirituality. God doesn't just zap us with these experiences. He, he works through our effort, our diligently pursuing Him. He works through our getting up in the morning and opening God's Word and spending time asking questions, studying the text, meditating on what He said, stopping, thinking about it. How does that apply to my wife? What does that mean, life? Did I just say wife? <laughs> uh, myself um, how does that apply to my life uh, and so on we must do that we must do that and God reveals it then also to those who are the most broken and the most humble Martin Luther commented on this verse saying uh, this um, and he's pointing out uh, that for those who are wise in their own eyes, this knowledge of God's word is hidden or concealed, but it is revealed to those who are, in Luther's words, ready, prepared, eager always to be taught, think humility, judged, and to hear, rather than to teach, judge, and be heard. In other words, we come to God's word with a heart ready to be taught. So it is with the psalmist. Look at verse 131. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. And he's amazed here by unto a holy longing. A holy longing. The language is vivid here. Uh, the picture that comes to mind is one bent over and grasping for air out of exhaustion. His body swelling and then contracting as he's fighting for air. If you've ever played sports or exercised uh, intensely, you know that feeling. Trying <gasps> as you're trying to grasp for air. You're just trying to replenish yourself with oxygen because you're so exhausted. And that's the picture that he uses here. It's very graphic language. I opened my mouth wide and I panted. Right? When somebody's tired and they're running a marathon, you don't see their mouth closed like this, taking short breaths through their nose, do you? Their mouth is, <gasps> you know, they're, they're breathing. And that's what the psalmist here is giving a picture of his inner attitude towards God's word. I opened my mouth wide and I panted. Why? For I longed for your commandments. I longed for your commandments. He's panting after the testimony of God's word, the testimonies of God's word. David uses a similar image, of course, in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after God, the living God. 1 Peter 2 gives an, an illustration of this. He says, like a newborn babe, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you might grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. 
if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That should be our attitude. It's not so often, but that should be what we're pursuing. It should be what we want from God, and it should be at sometimes our experience. I think we've all had that where we just have this strong drive to be in God's Word. We're just driven to spend time alone with God. We're driven to spend time alone with Him in His Word and to understand Him. That's the picture of the psalmist is giving here. Just for time's sake, let's move on. There's also a sense of zeal. So there's amazement to God's salvation, amazement unto a holy longing, amazement and desire, uh, amazement as he unfolds his word to us. And what that produces then is a zeal for holiness, for total holiness in our life. Look at Psalm uh, verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me after the manner with those... Who love your name. Well, we actually establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Notice there first in 132 that it is zeal, zealous for prayer. He's zealous for prayer. And again, notice that he's, he's approaching God on the basis of relationship. Look at verse 132. What there would point out to your relationship? Intimacy. There's a phrase repeated twice just in the opening uh, section there. Verse 132. What would would you observe there that says this is intimate? We're relationship. Nancy, you have it on the tip of your tongue. Okay. Those who love your name. And what else does he say at the first part there? That's, that's good, of course. He actually says it throughout in many different ways. Notice he says, turn to me. Be gracious to me. This is, uh, and then he talks about of, of the manner of those who love your name. In other words, this is an intimate relationship. You see, he's not just here praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. He's not just making a general prayer here. This is an intimate relationship of one who knows their God. Who is personally uh, experiencing and desiring to know the realities of God's covenant with his people. With his people. God knows us by name. We could kind of flip this around and come at it at another way. And to know that God knows us by name and we're those who love his name in return because of his knowing us by name and working in our hearts by grace. This is an intimately or wonderfully intimate uh, relationship here. And a wonderfully intimate and personal relationship. God's covenant name here, of course, is so much more than a title saying love your name. It's the foundation of all of his acts and his goodness toward his people. This is one who knows him as a son, a true son. Now we have even more revelation than he did. Don't we? We have the reality, not only the revelation, but the reality of union with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the greater reality, not just as a God who acts on covenant and deliverance from them, from Egypt... But one who has truly delivered us, we know, from our sin 
and with whom we're in the most intimate relationship, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the magnitude of what it means to be a participant in God's covenant. A participant in God's covenant is that God spilled his own blood and the blood of his son to ratify it for us, to bring us into it. And it is intimate, it is real, and we should approach God in that sense. John 3 1, 1 John 3 1 says this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. Chapter 4, verse 10 of 1 John. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We did not initiate this love, but we respond to it in fervent adoration and longing for Him. So He's coming to Him in prayer and He's coming to Him as one who is intimately pursuing and experiencing and loving his God. Note next, of zealous, he was zealous for purity. Purity, we read it. Establish my footsteps. In other words, make my way firmly planted in paths of righteousness and obedience to your word. And again, there's that, that uh, both sides of the coin. We know it in the New Testament as... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? For it is God who is at work in you, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. This is, in a sense, is what we see throughout Scripture, and it's what the psalmist is saying here. Uh, Establish my footsteps in your word. This is not let go, let God theology, but he is recognizing that the power and the enablement of his obedience is ultimately coming from God. He, then, is to respond in obedience... But it's the humble heart of dependence upon the Lord. Establish my footsteps. Again, it doesn't minimize responsibility. In one sense, it even maximizes responsibility. Because it says then, all the more, God who has provided for me this grace to obey Him, I am to all the more uh, respond with laying hold of that grace and obeying him because he's enabled me to do it. He's enabled me to do it. And we know he's enabled me to do that by the Spirit through the death of his own son. Calvin commented that the prophet confesses that it is to no purpose for him to read or hear the law of God unless his life is regulated by the secret influence of the Holy Spirit that he may thus be enabled to walk in that righteousness which the law enjoins. And so it is. He says, turn to me and be gracious. Establish my footsteps in your word. And notice what he adds. And do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Why does he pray that? Why does he pray that? What's the great barrier to our fellowship with God? Sin. Right? Sin. Sin is the great barrier. And he knows that. And we know that. And so he's essentially saying, rid me of all that would hinder the fulfillment of your word in my heart. All that would hinder my obedience to you. Now, believers know this in a relational sense. Our sin has been atoned for. 
at the cross of Christ. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the, we do a relationally experience separation from God at times. In the, turn, in, in the sense of our felt experience of Him. The sense of His nearness to us. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 59.2 uh, says this. Let me read it. Isaiah 59.2 says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. David said this in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So when we're coming to God's word and we're saying that I want all of these things, I want to behold wonderful things, I want to obey him with his life, my life, uh, we need to also make sure that we're coming with a willingness to deal with any sin in our life. But let me put another side of that. As we're drawn near to God, and as we do experience these things, we become more sensitive to the sin in our life, don't we? As we get nearer to Him. And, and the more then we pray, do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. You know, one reason that people, some, don't go to spend time in God's Word is because they have maybe cherished areas of their heart and their sin that they don't want exposed. But when we're truly pursuing God, we want Him to expose those things. And, and this is a little footnote to this, that also means that, and we looked at this last time, we looked at Psalm uh, 119, that when God brings circumstances that squeeze our heart to expose them, uh, we thank him for those. And we seek to deal with the sin that's exposed in our hearts. And we pray here like the psalmist does. Don't let any iniquity have dominion over me. Lord, I thank you that you've revealed this. And in my pursuit of purity and holiness, I want to apply your word to this situation that I might better know you and have fellowship with you and honor you with my life. Not uh, grumble and complain. We pray with David in Psalm 19, 11 through 3. He says this. Let me look at it so I don't misquote it. Uh, Psalm 19, 11 through 13. He says this. Uh, or verse 12. Uh, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. So this pursuit, or the sincerity of our pursuit for this fellowship with God is marked by our desire to deal with sin in our hearts and to put it off that we might walk in obedience. It is a battle, but it is one that we are enabled to engage in because of His grace through His Spirit and we are empowered and given directions by His Word. Now we as... Let's look at this last one. Zealous and in obedience. Psalm 1, verse 134. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. That I may keep your precepts. Redeem has the idea of deliverance. And he doesn't give any more information here, but most likely there was something in this psalmist's life that was in terms of uh, oppression of men, we, we encounter this at many other times in this psalm, that was hindering his ability to fully carry out uh, God's word as he wanted to. And so he's saying, redeem me from the oppression of man. 
Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. That I may keep your precepts. In other words, remove those things that make it more difficult for me to live a life of righteousness. To live a life of full obedience and the experience of faith. In other words, much like the psalmist prayed in Numbers 6.20, or the Numbers, uh, the, that it was prayed, the prayer of Numbers 6.24-26, Lord, bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. He adds later in verse 27 of number 6, So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. And the Lord's saying, I, and the psalmist is saying, I want to experience that, and so remove everything from me that keeps me from fully knowing this dynamic relationship of your blessing and my obedience. Notice lastly in Psalm 1, verse 136, then brokenness over sin. This nearness to God, this desire for obedience uh, is shown also in his hatred of sin. My eyes said streams of water because they do not keep your law. They do not keep your law. So I want your grace in 135, make your face to shine upon me, teach me your statutes. But in verse 136, my eyes said streams of water because they do not keep your law. And here it just speaks of his love for God that is demonstrated by his hatred of sin and his hatred of all that dishonors the Lord. This is a deep sadness at grief at, grief at seeing God's word and therefore his name so maligned and disregarded. The picture here is of tears streaming down his face. And the reality is, is that if we know the Lord, then we are, we are saddened and grieved over those things that dishonor him. So when we see what's going on uh, in the world and those things that misrepresent his name, we're grieved over that. And this is what the psalmist is essentially saying. And he's saying this as an Israelite who sees the sin of his people. And we say that as believers who see the things in the church that are a dishonor to the Lord's name, when we see men who are the creation of God so dishonoring Him and so dishonoring Christ, and those things grieve us. But they grieve us in large part also, it should, because we love God and we hate to see Him so dishonored. And so these are things that we should be pursuing in our life. None of us knows this perfectly, and frankly, I doubt any of us know this consistently, even, as the day in, day out. But this is what we are to pursue when we come to God's word. That we are seeking him to unfold his testimonies to us. That we would delight in him. That we would obey him with all of our hearts. Pursue purity of heart, obedience, submission to him. And that we would be broken over sin. That we would so delight in him that we would hate uh, all that dishonors him, not only outside of us in the world, but also inside of us in our own hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great grace that you have given us in Christ. Thank you for forgiveness of our sin. Thank you for your word in which you have revealed yourself, your promises, your grace, your son. And our Lord Jesus Christ, we delight in you and our redemption that we have in you and through you. Unfold to us the glories of the grace we've received. Even as Paul prayed in, to the Ephesians that we might know the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth 
of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Help us to know that, not for our own private experience, but so that our lives, filled with that knowledge, might be given to you in fuller expressions of worship and praise and obedience and trust and submission. That we might show to the watching world our delight in you, our God, and the reality of the grace that we have received from you in Christ. Help us, O Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.